hey, now that we're all here on the daylight saving time, right? Uh, rough, rough day of the year, but we made it. So uh, I don't know about you, but I have just thoroughly enjoyed our time already with the Lord together, uh, singing those words and those songs and, and those coming from the heart. If you don't know Christ, man, I'll tell you what, he will change your life. Uh, and he is for you. He died for you. I'm so thankful to be here to be able to now turn our attention in worship to the Word of God, the Bible. And so would you guys open your Bibles with me or turn them on on the devices, specifically in the book of Ephesians is where we're going to eventually get to, okay? Hang tight. It's going to be in your lap for a while, uh, but you can go ahead and get ready there. Now, uh, what we've been doing, we've been on a journey through a book of the Bible, a different book. What book is that lately? Genesis, right? Genesis. And um, we've been in a, way, in a way in an airplane kind of uh, doing an overview of the book and, and so forth. And then last week, it's like we got into a helicopter. We, we zeroed in a little bit more on a certain character. And who is that? Satan, Lucifer, right? And today we're going to continue to drill that on even more specifically on this war that's happening with Satan and demons. It's what we call spiritual warfare, all right? So we're going to dive into that. We're going to look at Ephesians and some other passages. So to help us on this subject, I'm going to give a one paragraph summary of what the war is. Then I'm going to break it apart and, and give some specifics, and then we're going to get to application. What does this war mean for you and I today? Are you guys ready for that? If you are, say, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Awesome. Here we go. Here's the statement. Uh, it's a cosmic war. It's being fought between God and Satan. Why? What are they fighting for? Uh, people's souls and universal lordship. Uh, God uses his angels and his people on earth. Satan, he uses demons, one's own sin, and non-Christians. This war crosses between two realms. You got the spiritual and the physical, the visible and the invisible. And then we summarize at the end here this one statement, God has already won this war. All right? So let me highlight a few points of this. First of all, let's talk about uh, this, what it's being fought over, people's souls and universal lordship. When you study the Bible, you see that God has told us that we are not just physical creatures. This is not the only life we will live. We have immortal souls. We're going to live forever somewhere when we leave, breathe our last breath here. We're going to go somewhere. Well, Satan, a long time ago, rebelled against God, and today he wants to pull all of us and keep all of us on the path to eternal destruction with himself. He wants to steal worship away from God. He wants to be Lord himself, and that is what he is doing. Now, we also learned uh, last week kind of a summary of what he's up to in demons, that they are the thief that come only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we also learned last week some review of some of the tactics of demonic forces in Satan. They have schemes and plans. So one of the schemes that he has, and I believe this with all of my heart, is this thing they came up with called daylight savings time. Where they steal an hour of my sleep, okay? So, all right, maybe not that, all right? But here they are. We had these last week as tactics. Demons blind unbelievers' spiritual eyes from being able to, to, to see the gospel instead to keep them in the clutches of the enemy, okay? 
Uh, second, then with believers, demons can tempt us to sin. And when we sin, it causes us to be a weak warrior in this war. And then they love that because they also then, once we sin, they like to accuse us to then get us to think this. Well, I guess I've already sinned. And, and what am I doing? I might as well just sin more. And, and you just start getting completely not just weak, but useless in the war right? So that's some of the tactics of the enemy. Now, let me, let me say this. We got to make sure when we talk about demonic activity and spiritual warfare, we, we, there's a sweet spot in scripture of the truth. And then there's these ditches on the other side. Okay. One ditch is, um, yeah, we know demons are in the Bible, but when we act like basically they don't exist. Okay. We don't want to be in that ditch. The other one is this. You ever heard of this? There's a devil behind every bush. You ever heard that phrase before? Like demon, 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 demons everywhere, demons, okay? We don't want to do that either, all right? So they're there, they act, these are some of the schemes. Now, what is God doing in this war? God is rescuing people. That's what he's up to. He sent Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago to make it possible for people to even be rescued. And now he's in the process of opening spiritual blind eyes. In fact, that's what one of the main roles of God, the Holy Spirit is, is he opens our eyes. If we're a Christian here today, praise God. But the only reason that happened is because God, the Holy Spirit took the veils off of our spiritual eyes. And so he's doing that all the time. And he's protecting us from the works of the enemy is what he's doing. And so that's some of that. Now, Let's go back to our statement. I want to highlight and clarify a little bit more specifically this. Satan uses demons, but also what? One's own sin. Do you see that? See, the Bible teaches in Romans 3.23 and other places that all of us are born with a sinful nature. We inherited it from Adam. Thank you, Adam. You know, but we all got it. And because of our sinful nature, we sin. In other words, sinners sin. That's what we do. And really, honestly, we're really good at it. In fact, a lot of times when we sin, when we fall into temptation, demonic forces are not around. We just fall into sin because we're good at sinning. That's a reality. That's a truth. And so in other words, it's not the devil made me what? Do it. Okay? Because also, then they can interplay. But, but check this out in James. It says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by the devil. Therefore, it's all his fault. That's what the verse says. No, right? Instead, we're enticed by our own lust. Do you see that? And then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it then goes forth into death. So uh, the way to put it is this. Demons, when they come around, they don't, they're not the cause, but they can come and feed on the sinful nature that's already there. Okay, so as an unbeliever and a reminder for us that are Christians, we all started there. But only by the grace of God have our eyes, we were blind, but now we see, right? Um, amen. I'm going to get fired up. I'm just getting warmed up, just so you know. All right? So, but, right? And so, I'm getting off track now, because I'm just getting fired. So, uh, here we go. But, um, so, what they do for an unbeliever, an unbeliever is blind by their own sinful nature, Demons come and try to keep them blind. Do you see how that works? For as Christians, we sin because of our own sinful nature. Demons love to come and feed and make it easier for us to fall into that and to stay in that. So an illustration might be this. Our sinful nature is like a fire and has hot coals. 
Demons come around, they just pour fuel on it. But at the end of the day, what started all of it? It was our sinful nature. Does that make sense? And so the devil doesn't make us do it, but he's definitely involved. Uh, Now, here's another clarifier of this one's own sin, specifically how demons interplay with Christians. I have people ask me this often. Okay, so what can demons do to a Christian? I'll say this is a summary of theology and studying the scriptures. Demons can influence a Christian. They can oppress us as Christians, but they cannot possess us as Christians. They can influence, they can oppress, but they can't possess. It's what we call demon possession. Why? Well, remind me, who lives inside of a born-again believer? The Holy Spirit. And you know what? I don't think the Holy Spirit likes sharing a body with a demon. It's not going to go well for the demon, is it? Not at all, right? You see? And so thankfully, when the God and Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we don't have to worry about demon possession. But they can't influence us, and they can't oppress us, Okay? Now, that leads us into the other part. Demons, one's own sin, and Satan also uses non-Christians. What about non-Christians? And I will remind us again, we were all started there. But if today, if you're here and you're non-Christian, there is nothing off the table for what demons can do in your life. They can influence you, they can oppress you, and they can even go all the way to what we call demon possession today. Jesus spent a lot of time casting demons out of people. The apostles in the early church spent a lot of time casting demons out of people, and it still exists today. Um, If I had more time, I'd tell you some stories that I know of, of demon possessions today, but we don't have time, but it happens. Now, with all that said, that's how that works. Now, one final clarifier on our statement, if you notice this interesting phrase on the end, God has already won. This doesn't make any sense. You're talking about current fighting, ongoing stuff, and yet you're saying God already won. That's like an oxymoron. That doesn't make any sense. Let me explain what we're saying and what the Bible really teaches on this. You see, 2,000 years ago, when the ultimate warrior came named Jesus, and when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he has defeated and completely stripped the power out of the hands of Satan and demons to be able to keep every person in their sin on a path to hell. And he has made it possible once and for all for people to actually be rescued. Hallelujah. Right? He's actually made it possible. He has stripped demonic forces of that ultimate power for us. Check this out in Colossians chapter 2. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm skipping that. There's Romans 5. That's actually talking about as an unbeliever, we're enemies of God. Do you see that? Um, but we need rescued, right? But God has already won it. And here it is, Colossians 2.15, when this is talking about the resurrection of Jesus. It says, when he, Jesus, had disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's not physical rulers and authorities. That's the spiritual rulers and authorities. Jesus made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. When he rose from the dead, he has utterly defeated the ultimate power of demons. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. That's right. So here's the next question then. Why are we still fighting, Lord? If you already won, why don't you just finish Satan off once and for all? Let me share with you what you would learn as you study scripture is this. Here's why God is not finishing off Satan yet. Is that right now he is currently wiping out the remnants of the enemy, but he's doing it patiently and slowly because he is in the business, in the process of rescuing unbelievers. 
He said, this is really cool. It's actually said in 2 Peter 3, 9. This is talking about the promise of God. God, when are you going to end the world? When are you going to end Satan and demons? And he says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. And here's the reason, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful the Lord's being patient because if he came 100 years ago, I wouldn't be in the kingdom of God. Amen? And so that's why he isn't finishing. Now, the next question is, though, look, God, are you actually really ever going to finish off Satan and demons? Are you ever going to finish this war? Absolutely. And you can read all about it in, for yourself in Revelation chapter 20 of the final battle once and for all when he will defeat Satan and demons and put them into hell forevermore. It's amazing. Now, with all this, this is the summary there. If you're like me, I'm, I'm kind of a skeptical guy. In fact, my, my wife, Holly, she says to me sometimes, she's like, Ryan, I don't even know how you're a Christian. You're so skeptical. Only by the grace of God, I tell you that, right? But, but maybe right now you're sitting there thinking, because this is true. Like when you start talking about demons and stuff, like people start looking at you like you're, you just left the earth, you know? It's either true or it's not. But here's the thing, okay? What we're saying, though, what we learn in the Bible is that the spiritual war goes from spiritual into the physical realm. It crosses from the invisible into the visible. Well, if that's true, someone like me would say, well, then can't, can we see effects in casualties of this war in the physical realms? And I would say you absolutely can. And I'm going to share with you just four not exhaustive list at all, but four that has scripture to back it up and this and that of where you can see this spiritual war in the physical realms. Are you guys ready for this? All right, here's the first one. And all of these, before I say that too, all of these, I'll say this, there is not a humanistic, materialistic, atheistic explanation for any of these. But once you understand and you, that you believe that there's this thing called sin that causes people to be blind to things, when you understand there's demons involved and angels involved and God involved and all of that, these things make a lot of sense. So you ready? Here's one. Why in the world even evil exists? Makes no sense in a humanistic worldview. Now, I'm not talking about one creature eating another. A materialist can explain that. I'm talking about specifically humans because we have this thing called sin. And when we do evil things to one another, I'm talking about when we torture each other and have pleasure in it. You don't find that in the animal kingdom but you'll find that with these creatures called humans that have a sinful nature, you see? And so evil can only be explained when you understand there's sin and demons and all this stuff going on behind the scenes. It starts to make a lot of sense. Here's another one. This one's fascinating. How can one ethnic group, the Jewish people, be hated for all of their history, all around the world, still today, anti-Semitism, when most of the time they're not doing anything to cause people to even hate them? I used to be a history major before God got me into the ministry. And I'm telling you, I've never heard a humanistic historian explain how one people group could be so hated by so many people past, present, today, and have so many people, there's been no other group that's ever been tried to be wiped out in genocide than this one people group. Then to flip it around, how this one people group can survive all this stuff. And not only that, to lose their nation 2,000 years ago and actually get their nation back no nation has ever done that historically. Makes no sense, except for when you understand and you believe that there is this 
this thing that's going on, that God has a special place in his heart for the people of the Jewish people, the ethnic group, that God actually brought the Messiah who would die on the cross, raised from the dead to save you and I from our sins. Satan knew that all along, and he tried to wipe them out over and over to stop the Messiah from ever coming. And Jesus, God isn't done with the, the people yet. God actually has plans in the end times for the ethnic people group of the Jews in the end times. Satan knows that and is constantly trying to wipe them out, but God is carrying out his plan. I'm telling you, once you read all that in the scriptures, it makes a lot of sense why all that's going on. You see what I'm saying? Here's a couple others that are kind of tied together. How can we have so many religions and how can we have so many views, for instance, of the origin of life, macroevolution versus creationism and so forth? How can we have this? My, my sons that are 13 and nine, we were just having a conversation about this this last week. It was great. They're like, dad, we don't understand. If creationism and God and, and Christianity is true, why doesn't everybody just believe that? If it's truth, why can't they just see the truth? Even the schools are, you're telling me the schools are teaching lies? Yeah. But let me explain. See, in a humanistic worldview, it doesn't make any sense. If everything's just truth, it's just truth. It's just how it is. Why can't everybody see that? But when we understand there's this thing called sin within every human being that causes us to be blind to stuff like that. And once you understand it's all led by real personal enemies and the leader of it is Satan. He's the father of what? Lies. All of a sudden, it makes a complete sense. Do you see what I'm saying? The, world, the war exists and it crosses into the physical realm. So application for you and I. What does this mean for us as God's people? Before I even get there though, I wanna say something. I wanna address maybe if there's any non-Christians right now. Like, I want to ask this question. Are you confident that you have crossed from the kingdom of darkness where we all started? Again, Romans 5 says we were born as enemies of God. Where there's no neutral people. Are you confident you've crossed from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? And if we can't say that, I want to share with you the good news. The ultimate warrior, Jesus, came 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross, rose from the dead to make it possible for you to be rescued of your sins. Do you want to be rescued from your sins? Do you want to be rescued from being on that side? Do you want to join the kingdom of God? Well, here's what you got to do. You got to believe all of what I'm saying. Believe it. It either exists or it doesn't. Believe that Jesus died on the cross and makes it possible for you to be forgiven. And then own your sin. Confess it. Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me for being my own Lord. From this day forward, I will live for you. If you say that, some of that, some version of that in your own words, it is that easy. And what will happen at that moment is God the Holy Spirit will come inside of you and you will cross from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And when you die, you will be with the Lord forever. Make sure you've done that. If you want to talk to me after service, I'd love to talk to you about that. Jesus Christ has changed my life. He'll change yours. doesn't matter. No one is beyond rescue of the Lord. Nobody. Okay. All right. But as Christians, what do we do now? Uh, well, you ever heard of the great commission? Yep. Go and make disciples, right? The Lord wants us. He has called all of us in his army. Uh, remember the classic song? I'm in the Lord's army. Yeah. All five of us. Awesome. Yes. It's a classic song, right? I'll spare you it. Okay. But we are in the Lord's army. Okay, uh, he's called us. He's got a, we're on a mission. And so I'm going to cover now three uh, activities within this mission as a God's people. One, we need to make sure first we acknowledge the real enemy. Identify the real enemy. 
You can't go into a battle not fighting the real enemy, right? So uh, here's our passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Check this out, okay? He's going to tell us what our enemy is not. He says, for our struggle, our wrestle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. You hear that? In other words, our enemy is not people. People are not our true enemy. Instead, what? But against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Demons, Satan, and really our own sin, that's the real enemy, not demonic forces. That's why Jesus was able to one time look at Peter and he said, Satan, get behind me. Because he knew that there was demonic forces behind it. Peter wasn't the real enemy. To fight the wrong enemy and to go after people, for instance, in all of this, is like going after a decoy soldier or a decoy tank. You know how that works in warfare? It is that they're set up on purpose to get you to shoot there so while the real enemy comes around and flanks you from the side. So we got to make sure we're going after our own sin. We're going after demonic forces. We're not going after people. So let me try to hit that home, okay? What that means is, is that couples, your spouse is not your enemy, right? They're not your enemy. Now, they might be influenced by the enemy and so forth, but they're not the real enemy, and so instead, focus your attention on any demonic forces that might be around and on your own sin, but don't look at them as the enemy. Uh, when brothers, sisters, and Lord, when people persecute us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our classmates, they're not the real enemy. It's demonic forces behind and sin and all of this, but they're not the enemy. Tell you what, when we get that, it's much easier to love and forgive people when they do things to us. And so let's make sure we are actually going against the real enemy. What else do we need to do in this war as God's people? What's our mission? We also need to make sure we're defending ourselves and we're defending our families and we're defending our church. CFC, let me ask you this. Do we really believe that Satan is actively right now strategizing, demons are strategizing how to get you and I to, to be tempted to fall into sin so that we become weak, if not then useless warriors? Do we believe that? Do we believe that there are demons right now actively planning how to destroy our marriages? And they're actively planning how to pull our kids away from the Lord. We either believe it or we don't. Men, if you're a father, a husband, if you're not, imagine you might be someday or something. Just imagine this with me. Imagine if, if there's no debate, you know this. There's a man every night coming around your house or coming around your apartment peeking in the windows and looking at your wife and looking at your kids. And you know that he is strategizing how he's going to break in someday and he's going to do horrendous, unimaginable, evil things to them. And there is no debate that it is currently happening right now. What would you do? I know what I would do. I love that because here's what I would do. I would, I'd go Old Testament on them. That's what I would do, right? Shoot them, whatever it is. Yeah, okay. That's a whole other different sermon right there, but, <laughs> but right? But, but then the Lord would remind me, hey, Ryan, there's this thing called Romans 13 and government, okay? But the point is this. I don't know any man in the right mind that would just be like, yeah, I'm kind of busy, whatever, right? 
Guys, listen, I think you know where I'm going with this. There is a real personal enemy, demons, actively right now strategizing how to destroy you, how to destroy your family, how to destroy your marriage, how to destroy this church. And we gotta be ready to defend. I have personally, and it breaks my heart, I have seen two churches now in my life that God was pouring out his spirit on these churches. People getting saved left and right in these churches. I saw demonic forces come in using believers' own sinful nature to turn against each other and bite and devour each other. And today, those churches are a fraction of what they ever used to be, barely trying to survive. Do you understand? Demons are trying right now to break through into CFC at every moment, all the time. We gotta be ready to defend. And so how do we defend uh, ourselves and our families and our churches? Let me give you, give you some quick ways. Here we go. First of all, we gotta make sure we put on the defensive armor of God. There's defensive armor of God that the Lord has given us in this passage. We got to make sure we put it on. And so looking at the passage, here we go. In verses 14 through 17, he says to us, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so let me share with you, as you study this, you're gonna find at least four defensive weapons that you and I can do in our life to defend against demonic forces in our lives. Uh, here Here's one. He talks about this belt. It's the uh, truth. And where do we get the truth? Where do we get truth from? The word of God, right? In other words, if you're trying to battle demonic forces and so forth, and you're, we're living in lies, well, then we're defeated. We got to get truth, which means we got to know the scriptures. The second, he talks about this breastplate of righteousness. It means we need to keep living in personal purity. You see, not if, but when is God's people when we sin, it's like every time we're taking a breastplate of righteousness off at that moment. And what happens then, of course, the enemy is attacking us with flaming arrows. And at that point, now he can more easily damage us and more easily hurt us. In other words, I'll put it this way. As long as we're in unconfessed sin, unconfessed sin invites more sin. I, I can talk by experience about this. Once you stop repenting, see, repentance is putting the breastplate back on to the Lord. And that's what's beautiful about the Lord is that as soon as we own, confess, repent, he forgives us like that. That's how beautiful grace is. But I tell you what, if we keep living in an unconfessed sin, we're just going to, it's like a snowball effect and we're just, we're in trouble, you see? So let's live in a personal purity, quick to repent when we sin, keep the breastplate of righteousness on. Here's a third thing. He talks about this shield, the shield of faith. What is that? That's a belief, that's a faith, that's asking God, God, remind me, increase my faith in this. You are more powerful than the demonic forces that are up against me. You are also more powerful than the sin I'm struggling with in my life right now. You see, instead of that, if we start doubting, it's like putting the shield down. Like, like oh, I fell into that sin again. You know what? Maybe I'm just never gonna have victory in this. And what do you do? You start giving into it more and more because we doubt the power of God of victory. 
And so we got to keep reminding ourselves, taking up that shield, Lord, you are more powerful than who's in the world. You are more powerful than the sin I'm struggling. You see that? And here's the fourth one. It is this. He talks about this helmet of salvation. It is constantly reminding ourselves, I am a child of God because the Lord's sovereignty is watching over me. In other words, I love it's the helmet idea. It's like, don't let Satan get in your head. I love that, right? What does he want to do? Especially this is more often for new believers. If you're a new believer, is what happens. You sin. Again, not if, but when. You sin. And then Satan loves to say, well, maybe you're not really saved. Maybe, maybe God won't save you, therefore you might as well just go back into your own ways. You see that? But see, instead, it's like, no, 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 I'm saved, not because of my works and all that. I'm saved because God rescued me. And when God rescues me, he keeps me. Because he's a sovereign God, get away from me. You see how that works? I'm getting fired up. So there's the four, right? Now, that's, that's that. Now, what's really cool too, and this is something I never can overemphasize, another tool, a weapon is prayer. In fact, it's what Paul knows too, because he actually goes right on in our passage. Look at verse 18. With all prayer and petition, which is another form of prayer, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Verse 19, and pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. Prayer. Again, I can never emphasize enough the importance of prayer. So let me ask you right now, bring it all the way home. How often in my personal prayer life am I saying something like this? Lord, I pray that you would please protect me today from the effects of the evil one. Are we even ever praying that? You know, Jesus even put that in the Lord's prayer, right? Are we even praying that? If we're not, that's application right now. Start working that into our prayers for ourselves. How much are we praying for our marriages? Lord, would you please protect my marriage from the effects of the evil one? How much are we praying for our church? Are we praying, Lord, would you protect CFC? I love CFC. I'd hate to see the enemy come in and destroy this church that I love. Lord, are you, would you protect our church from the evil one? How much are we praying for our kids, parents, that the Lord would protect them? I'm just gonna confess in church today, I don't pray for these things enough. I would say though, is that sometimes, um, uh, my kids, when they go to bed, I've got three kids, 13, nine, and seven. And, and I'll go in after they're long asleep and I'll go into their rooms. And you know how cute the kids are when they're sleeping. And when they wake up, it's a different story. But when they're sleeping, <laughs> right? They're so sweet and cute. And usually at that moment, I, I go up to each of my kids in each of their rooms and I put my hands on them. And at first I just praise God, thank you, Lord, because each of them have come to know Christ, which means I, I thank him that he did the miracle of opening the blinders off of their eyes. And I thank him for that because I know not every parent gets that blessing. And then I pray, I pray, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would protect them from the works of the enemy. But then I don't even stop there. You know what else I pray? I pray, Lord, I pray that they would become a hundred times more, more dangerous and powerful to the works of the enemy than I will ever be in my life. Make them crazy warriors for you, Lord. So are we praying for these things for our kids? Are we praying these things? It's powerful. Let me give you one more quick way of defending against the works of the enemy. And I'm just gonna say this, there's great theologians and Christians, we would differ on this point, so take that how it is. Um, but I believe in this we can rebuke Satan and demons in Jesus' name. 
Um, and where I get that from is, is, is scenarios like this. In Jude uh, chapter, well, there's only one chapter, but verse 9. Maybe you heard of Michael the archangel before. Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, they got the dead body of Moses, what are they going to do with it? It's a whole event in itself. But here's the point. He didn't dare pronounce, pronounce against Satan a railing judgment, but instead said what? The Lord rebuke you. And when I study scripture and so forth, the name of Jesus Christ has power in his name. If you think about it, we have no, if Michael the archangel can't deal with Satan without invoking on the name of Jesus, you and I definitely should not be doing anything with demonic forces unless we're calling on the powerful name of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of a great song we sing here sometimes. And here's the lyrics. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. You have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, our God reigns. Yours is the kingdom and yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. So let me hit this home. If you're in your life and you're starting to sniff, there might be demonic activity somewhere around. This is what I was taught young. And I'm just telling you by experience, I have seen some crazy stuff happen in a cool way. As I've been taught, you say it out loud. You just say, demons and Satan, if you are around, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to leave this situation. And so again, just know some people differ on that. Great brothers and sisters in the Lord, I throw that out there and pray about that, what God wants you to do. Now, is that all the Lord wants us to do? He came to rescue us so we can build castles, build walls, build our bubble and play defense. No, what's the great commission? Go, right? And so the Lord is not just saying defend, but also advance the kingdom of God. We've been called to take it to him. Uh, man, I want this to hit home. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 16. He says, I also say to you, he's talking to Peter. He says that you, Peter, and upon this rock, I will what? What's the word? Build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overpower it. See, the Lord is saying, I want you to build. I want you to advance. I want you to move the ball forward. I want you to go take territory from the enemy. I want you to go steal back what he has wrongfully stolen from me in my name and for my glory, okay? See, this is the stuff, like in our philosophy at CFC, we talk about people that are spiritually dead unbelievers is that we are born in a coffin, right? We're dead. He's saying, go give the gospel so I can do some resurrecting, Go against the enemy and build my kingdom. So how can we do that? Let me give you three quick ways. We need to put on some offensive armor of God. See, right in our passage, it's not just defensive stuff. There's some offensive stuff, specifically two. And here's one of them is that it's these shoes. You notice the shoes. You see, if you go fighting and you don't have shoes on and you're trying to move forward, it's not going to go well. As we talks about this, these shoes, it's being prepared to share the gospel 
that will defeat the enemy and rescue people. So let me ask this. Are we putting shoes on in our lives? Are we preparing to show the gospel? Which means that I'm reading the scriptures, knowing the scriptures, learning about the gospel inside and out, and don't stop there. Learning other worldviews so that I can speak into those worldviews with the gospel of truth in order to share the gospel so people can be saved. Are we preparing actively to have gospel conversations? And so uh, I want to give you some opportunities. Actually, right now in the life of our church at 930, uh, there is a class going on called Bless. And I encourage you to come. It's at 930 each Sunday. And we're right now training that exact thing, how to share the gospel and to see people rescued. Um, there's another training coming up. I know it's kind of early, but hey, mark it on your bulletin, mark it on your calendars, May 2nd. May 2nd, there's a gospel conversation training event. We're having a special speaker come in and we're gonna get together and there's more details coming. But I just wanna encourage you, listen, I say this, I say this hopefully as a model. Um, God has given me a lot of years in the church and a lot of years in the Bible and an undergrad Bible degree and a master of divinity degree and been a pastor for what, 19 years, whatever it's been now, who's counting and all this stuff. And I'll tell you what, I'm still listening to podcasts on the gospel and how to share it. I'm still watching YouTube videos. In fact, these are tools I didn't have a long time ago and I'm so thankful for them. I'm still reading the scriptures all the time. I'm still reading books and I'm still preparing myself. And I say all that to say, I know if I need to, then we probably all need to. Does that make sense? And so I hope I can pray, be a, if you will, a humble model to make sure we're preparing to share the gospel. Here's another final weapon in our arsenal. We got the sword, which is the Bible. I love that the Bible's defensive, but it's also uh, an offensive weapon, which means when we have spiritual conversations, are we using scripture in those conversations? I'm gonna have the worship team come up as we wrap up on the last two activities we can do in this offensive advancing the kingdom of God, okay? So hang with me on these. We can also make sure we're involved in sending missionaries to go rescue non-believers. Now, I'm going to say the missionaries, you know what they are? They're our special forces. They're our special forces. And if we're not on that team, then we are helping send them, okay? I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because if you were here two weeks ago, we had MissionCon and they had a whole sermon on it. And so I'll say this, if you weren't here, get online, watch that sermon, listen to that. It's going to go a lot more detail of all of that, but I'll just break it down to say this. Uh, are you and I, can we say that we are partnering with a special force unit at all right now so that they are out there sharing the gospel to rescue unbelievers far away? In other words, are we partnered with a missionary in any capacity? If we're not, what are you waiting for? We got a bunch of missionaries at our church. It doesn't have to be a missionary from our church. Just get partnered up with some of our special forces. Now, I'll also say this. Maybe the Lord wants you to go on a short-term special mission in 2020. We have short-term mission teams. In fact, today, today, right after this service at 1215, over in D8, this building here, I'm in D building, um, there's an info meeting for anybody interested in any of our five mission trips this summer or the, in this fall, this year. And so maybe you can hang around. It's going to be a fast meeting. Um, just go to that 1215 D8. Now here's our final way we can advance the kingdom is we can also ourselves go and rescue unbelievers, right? 
So not all of us are called to go far away, but we all have unbelievers around. But let me make this as crystal clear as possible. When we go rescue non-believers and we're advancing the kingdom, this is what that means. We are initiating spiritual and gospel conversations with people. That's what offense is. And so instead, let me say this with all love, brothers and sisters, if you're here today, And your plan of this is I'm gonna live the gospel and wait for people to ask me, do you hear how that's defense? Now, should we live the gospel? Yeah, (laughs) right? We all agree on that, but that's not offense. The Great Commission is not live the Christian life, wait around for people to ask you. It is what? Go. And when you watch the early churches, what exactly what they did. We need to be the ones initiating gospel conversations with our unbelieving classmates and coworkers and family members and neighbors. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Can we, can we answer the question, when's the last time I started a spiritual conversation with somebody? Are we doing that? Because that's what advancing the kingdom of God is. You see, Jesus said this. He said um, to them, he said, peace be with you. And he says, as the father has sent me, I also send you. You see, in other words, as the father sent me as the ultimate warrior in this war, I did my part. I made it possible by my death and resurrection for people to be rescued. But guess what? Now I'm now sending you child. I'm now sending you son, you daughter to be a warrior in this war. And so would you go in love for me and love for those who need rescued and start some spiritual conversations in my name so that I can do some resurrecting for my glory. Do you see that? He's sending us. And when I think about that, I think, okay, Lord, what does a perfect church look like that's on the advance for your glory? A perfect church, what we're striving for. You know what it looked like? Every person in our church would be praying all the time for unbelievers in their lives, that their eyes would be open. And every person in our church would be constantly putting the shoes on and preparing and into God's word. And when we offer training things, like we have lots of people at them all the time because we're always wanting to learn and always wanting to be prepared. And every person in our church would be able to, if you ask them, when's the last time that you initiated a spiritual conversation with someone, they would be able to say, which one do you want? I got a number of stories. Instead of, oh man, I don't remember the last time. You see what I'm saying? Every person in our church would be so fired up for sharing the gospel that visitors would come to our church and they'd be like, there's something different about this church of CFC. I mean, people are sharing the gospel as if people's souls are at stake. Exactly. And so let me close with this warning though. If you and I rise up and answer the call to not just defend, but also advance the kingdom of God through sharing the gospel, you will be more than ever in the crosshairs of the enemy. I guarantee it firsthand experience. But let me encourage you this. He who is in you is greater than he who's in the world. And though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. Why? Because he is with us. Amen to that. So may this be you and I's prayer.
that Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts? Send us with power into the world. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in our hearts and uh, fill us with fire and love for the world. Let this room be shaken and let our hearts be broken and let your church awaken to your love. Send us with power. Why? Because you have already won. Would you stand and close out singing that to the Lord? places you in, whatever, whatever position that he places you in, go to further the kingdom of God. Thank you for coming. Have a great week.